Good Sunday morning, everybody. Welcome to Money Wise with the Money Guys. I'm Phil Paleologus. What a delight it is every Sunday morning at this time to welcome Ray Lance and Peter Lance, the Money Guys. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Good Phil. Good morning, Phil. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Peter. Always. I was trying to get in first before you this time. You were? Okay. <laughs> Well, first thing I'd like to say this morning, Phil, is uh, Peter has had a birthday this past week. So oh, my, my. Happy birthday to Peter. Chronia pola. Thank you very much. Only another three years until I'm 30. We won't announce his age, <laughs> but he lies a lot. In Greek, we say chronia pola, which means many, many more years to come. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I'm 37 now. Same to you, fella. <laughs> Wasn't that Bob Newhart that used to say yeah, that? Oh, I Same loved to you, him. fella. Loved Bob Newhart. Absolutely. <laughs> My wife, boys, and family made it a, a great birthday for me. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Good. Well, that's what it's Congratulations. all Congratulations. That's wonderful. Phil, today we're going to talk about something very special. We're going to be talking about uh, protection of something. We're going to, I need to ask you a question. What, what is the most important asset in your life? My wife. Good, you answered correctly. <laughs> right answer. I, I set you up for that. <laughs> and is she listening? I don't know, but that is the right answer. Well, thank you, Phil. You, you didn't take the bait. <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about protecting your house, but, oh, but you that. did answer the question correctly. Okay. <laughs> We're going to be talking about protecting your house, mm-hmm. not only from a perspective of appropriate legal documents and so forth, and we have a special guest who's going to be talking about the legal side of things, protecting your house, which is uh, my wife, attorney Tenny Lance, uh, Peter's mother. And then we're also going to be talking about protecting the physical side of your house, things as keys and alarms and mm-hmm. so forth. And the reason for that is because I didn't just have a birthday recently, but I had a break-in recently. I know it. We were talking about that. Everyone seems to have that at least once in their lifetime. And if those people are out there listening by any chance who happen to make an unlawful entry into Peter's house, we're tracking you down. Oh, good. Good. I, I like hearing that. Well, without further ado, um, I'd like to jump into the legal side first, if that's all right with you, Peter. You're going to be talking about the physical side. Sure. And I'd like to say good morning also to Tenny. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Tenny. And Tenny, we're going to talk very specifically about a number of things, about some very basic things and some more complicated things that people can do to protect their house. And one of the very first things we want to talk about is homestead. So. Can you explain what a declaration of homestead is? The homestead protection is actually um, allowed under Massachusetts General Law, Chapter 188. And the homestead protection is uh, something that you put on record at the Registry of Deeds, and it provides you with uh, a level of protection, either $500,000 or if you are a couple and you're elderly or disabled, a total of $1 million of equity protection. Does it protect you if you go to a nursing home? No, it does not, unfortunately, nor does it protect you from the estate recovery that uh, the state wishes to do if you have used Medicaid. So what's the most important reason for having a homestead? What does it protect you against? Well, it, 
it protects you against the kinds of things that you are always worried about as a homeowner. What if you run over someone and are sued? What if uh, you have to file bankruptcy? Uh, those kinds of things. Any Anybody that might reach the equity in your home is uh, protected by the homestead. It does not protect you against mortgages that are put on prior to the recording of your homestead or other secured creditors or any child support that you owe, uh, any fraud or prior debts, and the Medicaid. It's not a protection against that. But it sounds like it's still something fairly important for most everybody to do who owns a house. Is that correct? Absolutely, it's important. When you uh, mortgage your house, you need to put the homestead on after that. So if you've remortgaged lately, be sure and get a new homestead put on at the registry. The cost is not prohibitive at all. Uh, we charge $75 to help people prepare and, and uh, get the homestead signed, the form, and then there's a $35 charge by the Registry of Deeds to record it. So when you think that you may have equity protection of $500,000, this is a minimal charge. Now, do most people do this when they remortgage? Often the attorney who's doing the closing for the bank will be smart enough to say, we've prepared a homestead okay. to put on after it. Do you want it? Uh, but if they, if you have not had that happen, please make sure that you take care of it. So for $110, you can have some fairly inexpensive insurance on your house through the homestead. That's correct. Yeah. Now, if you are a, uh, a younger person, you can only have one homestead owner, um, only one of the two of a couple. Um, but if you are an elderly person, anybody 62 or over can have both people record a homestead, or if you're disabled. I don't know about you, Phil, but I've never really felt that anybody over 62 was necessarily elderly. <laughs> My wife was saying, well, that's not old. <laughs> but that's the magic age for doing a homestead, uh, for an elderly homestead exemption. That's, that's a provision of the law, so okay. right, we're not making any commentary about that. So is it, is it your recommendation, then, that everyone should have a homestead if they have a house? Absolutely. And what happens if you live in Florida? You mean if you have a second home in Florida? Well, let's say that's your primary residence, but you also live in Massachusetts. Can you do a homestead in Florida? You can only have one homestead, so it depends on where you claim your primary residence. Hmm. Okay, so you have to decide, first of all, where your main residence is going to be located, where you vote, and so forth. And I don't pretend to know Florida law. Okay. I know from talking to some other people in the past that Florida has an unlimited homestead exemption amount. But that's not necessarily the only reason to be a Florida resident. Um, there's still many more health benefits of being a Massachusetts resident. And you have to establish true residency and be there six months a year uh, as a Florida resident in order to claim that exemption. Right. But certainly it sounds like the Massachusetts exemption is very, very important to do. It is indeed. Now, is there something called an automatic homestead versus a piece of paper that you signed? Do you know anything about that? Uh, you have to actually do a form, um, have it recorded at the registry to be a valid homestead. And to get the maximum amounts and so forth. That's correct. All right. Um, do you ever talk to people about having a liability insurance umbrella on their homeowner's policy? 
we do indeed. Um, that is, we are not um, agents for that kind of insurance, so I recommend that they see their insurance agent. But yes, particularly if you've uh, got lots of assets, if you have a dangerous kind of job or something that might uh, bring you some difficulty, yes, we recommend that you look at either an umbrella, if you have multiple properties, or a, a larger coverage. And by the way, Phil, I've recommended that for many people in the past. It's very inexpensive compared to your regular homeowner's insurance, but if you have a home or a condo, it's very little cost to add on to your regular homeowner's insurance, a liability umbrella rider. And usually you might have underlying limits on your house of maybe $250,000 for right. liability. Mm -hmm. This will take you from two fifty up to a million dollars. And you have to have the same amounts on your car, if you have a boat, on your boat, and the same thing on your house. And then the liability umbrella rider picks up the excess over and above that. And generally, it's only about $200, $250 a year to add that on top of your homeowner's insurance. Well worth it. So it's good, good insurance. Um, Tenny, how else can you protect your house? Well, we talk uh, at our seminars about long-term care insurance. That is uh, now uh, an element of Mass General Law. It's uh, Chapter 176U of Mass General Laws. And long-term care insurance is uh, beneficial for those who want to be cared for at home or those who might be going from home care to an assisted living and then perhaps ultimately to a nursing home. Um, it is an underwritten type of insurance, in other words, the younger you are, the healthier you are, then uh, the cheaper the premium will be in general. Um, there is something called a state minimum, and this is why we talk about it at our seminars, because if you are supported in a nursing home on Medicaid, the state will want to be repaid what they have uh, contributed on your behalf, and that's called a state recovery. But if you go into a nursing home with the minimum long-term care insurance of $125 a day for two years of coverage, then the state will not impose that estate recovery lien. So that's a very valid way of protecting your home. I'll say. So in other words, in, in order to protect your house from a possible nursing home lien, you can entirely protect your house if you have long-term care insurance that has at least a two-year coverage period at $125 a day. That's correct. At least protect it from the estate recovery lien, yes. Does it matter how expensive or how valuable your house is? No, it does not. So again, if you can afford long-term care insurance, if, if you get the premium quotations on it and it's not too expensive for your budget, that's another way to protect your house, which is your most important asset, Phil, for most of people. Of course, absolutely. And by the way, that's something that, uh, Peter, you do long-term care insurance, so if somebody is interested in information, you can get quotations for them. Right, pretty easily, uh, usually with, you know, half an hour to an hour turnaround. And let me uh, give our audience the phone number in case they want to call you tomorrow, Peter. It's 508-998-8858. Welcome to Money Wise Radio Show with the Money Guys and Gal <laughs> this this day. <laughs> and we're talking this morning about protecting your house. Mm -hmm. uh, Tenny is addressing 
legal things that can be done to protect your house. We've mentioned the homestead and long-term care insurance. What about gifting? Should you gift your house to your child in order to take it out of the parent's name, for example, and try to protect it from a nursing home? Is that a good policy? We, in general, um, indicate to people that that is one of the worst ideas they might come up with. Uh, and there are several reasons for that. Um, not only would you, as prior owners, lose control of the house because it's now owned by your children, it's risky for you because children who might get divorced or sued or have financial problems and bankruptcy uh, can uh, be in a situation where your house would be at risk. You are uh, passing on a tax problem to your child, and we'll talk about that in a minute, if you gift it to them during your lifetime. You might well lose any tax abatements that you have. I, I was talking yesterday with a couple who had a huge tax abatement as an elderly person in Barnstable. They were getting $800 a year off their real estate taxes. That would probably be lost mm -hmm. if you um, were to gift your child to gift your house to your child. Um, the other major reason we don't like to do this is that you could definitely disqualify yourself from receiving any Medicaid benefits. Mm. Of course, I think sometimes I'd like to give my child to my house. <laughs> no, no, just kidding, Peter. Just, just kidding. <laughs> Dad is being very, very clever this morning. I Not that you know are. What that meant. <laughs> All right, so there are a number of reasons that you want to be very careful, it sounds like, before you would just automatically put your house in your child's name. Tell us about the tax side of that. What happens if you, from a tax perspective, if you give your house to your child? Well, this is a bit complex, so um, bear with me. But let's say you bought your house in 1950 and you spent $10,000 on the house. It's now 2013, and probably the house is worth 200000 the differential between what you paid for it and what it's now worth is called gain. So there's about a $190,000 gain. Now, the second part of this is that if you gift something to someone during your lifetime and that something has appreciated value, they are going to get it at your basis. On the other hand, if you gift something to someone upon your death, they will get it at a step-up in basis. So in the case that I just mentioned, if you gifted that house to your child while you're alive, they would get a $190,000 capital gain issue, which if they sold the house, they would pay 15% in capital gains taxes on, and that can be totally avoided by having the gifting done upon your death. So, in other words, um, I'm familiar with that tax concept also. You get a step up in tax basis at death. The child inherits the house at fair market value. But if you give the house to them while they're alive, whatever your cost is becomes the child's cost, and they could pay a tax later. That's right. Another big reason not to gift your house right. while you're alive. And every situation is slightly different, obviously. And, and um, I'm sure, Tenny, you would agree that when you sit down with clients and talk to them about the pros and cons of gifting, you'd have to look at every circumstance. For example, what happens if 
you have an adult child living in the house with you. Is that a more important reason? Well, we're getting into Medicaid again. And there is an exception in the Medicaid law that says if you have an adult child living with you and they have given you care for up to two years such that you are kept out of a nursing home during that period, you can gift the residents to the caregiver child without having a Medicaid penalty. Now, they will still have the capital gain issue, but often if the child is living in the house and lives there beyond your death for up to two years, then um, they would get the regular exemption from capital gains of 250000 anyway. If they, if they sold the house, yeah. If they then sold the house, that's right. It's a bit mm. complicated. But. Yeah. So, okay, I, I didn't mean to lead you directly from taxes into Medicaid issues, but I know you do a lot of work in the Medicaid area of how to protect the house. So in that kind of a situation, if you had a parent and there was an adult child living with them, mm-hmm. then you might dis- decide or discuss with them the possibility of let's put the house over into the child's name because that house is going to be protected if they were a caregiver and the nursing home couldn't take it. Is that essentially correct? Yes, that's correct. It's, um, it's interesting that there's been a recent case with regard to this caregiver exemption. And so you have to be very careful, and I'm careful on a couple of bases. First of all, I want to make sure that that caregiver child is not going to have a fight with siblings because they get the, the house and the others don't. Secondly, I want to be sure that they can get a medical certificate from a doctor that says, yes, they have provided care for two years, and that has kept them out of a nursing home. The recent case was against someone who was given a house with this exemption, and lo and behold, they were disqualified for Medicaid because of the gift because the state said, you haven't proved to me that they couldn't have gone to assisted living instead of a nursing home. Well, I'm sure we could do a whole show sometime, and maybe we will, on just Medicaid protection and how to protect assets if somebody needs to go to a nursing home, which would involve other more things than just the house, for example. But we're going to come back in a few minutes and talk about other topics as well, Tenny. And then, Peter, we still need to talk to you about what do you do when your house is broken into and how do you uh, keep track of your contents and so forth. But I'd like to remind everyone that we're talking in this morning about protecting your house legally and physically, and we're happy to have with us Attorney Tenny Lance, my favorite guest, <laughs> and uh, thank you for being here this morning. Tenny, how can somebody reach you if they want to reach you? What number Please call? call us at Lance Law, and that phone number is 508-998-8800. We provide initially uh, generally free consultation for estate planning matters. If we are talking about Medicaid, we do have an hourly fee for that, but we would be happy to talk with uh, anybody who'd like to come in. So protect your home. Absolutely. Uh, That's this morning's uh, topic, protecting the home. However, you know, every single Sunday at this time, uh, Money Wise Radio Show with the Money Guys uh, really shows you how to protect and underline that word protect your assets. They help us uh, protect our money. They help us protect everything wisely. So protection is a very, very good word to remember about today's show and every show. 
And we'll be back in just a moment with more Money Wise Radio Show with the Money Guys, Ray Lance, Peter Lance, and special guest, Tenny Lance. Welcome back to Money Wise Radio Show with the Money Guys, Ray Lance and Peter Lance, and our special guest, Attorney Tanny Lance. And we're talking about protecting the home. Great first part of the program. I learned a lot, Ray. Well, that's great. And uh, thank you for being such a wonderful host with us, Phil. It's always a pleasure. And It's actually my pleasure. I keep figuring that maybe a month from now I might have my voice that will <laughs> be down to your level. Well, uh, you've been trying this for a year now. <laughs> is that the imitation of my, Phil Paleologus? <laughs> my goal is to get as low as you are. I see. We won't go there. Oh, no? <laughs> <laughs> but we are pleased and thrilled to have Tenny here with us Indeed. again. We are talking about protecting your home. And a quick reminder, next week we're going to be talking about what to do when you reach age 65. And the show is going to be primarily talking about Medicare, and that triggers health insurance. And it's a fairly complex subject, so I hope people who are interested in that topic might tune in uh, also. Terrific. Tenny, let's go back and talk for just a couple of minutes, and we've got a lot of things to talk about with Peter as well, about other things that might be considered when you're thinking about protecting your home. For example, tell us everything you know in 60 seconds about life is deeds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm timing you. <laughs> well, they've changed. Okay. That's good. Oh, goodness. Um, a life estate deed is an actual deed that gets recorded at the registry, and it uh, puts the owner uh, as the tenant, effectively, life tenant of the property, and gives a remainder interest to others. Um, so that's why it's called a life estate deed. It gives the owner the life estate in that property. Okay, and does that protect the house from a nursing home? Because I'm sure that a lot of people ask you about doing a life estate deed. And the answer is, it depends. Okay. One thing that uh, everyone has to be careful about with regard to nursing homes and Medicaid and so forth is the five-year look-back period. If you do a life estate deed within the five years that precede your going into a nursing home, you will have a problem with Medicaid because your gift of the remainder interest is considered a disqualifying transfer. Terrible words. What, do you, what does uh, somebody do if they did a life estate deed so-called 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and they think that their house is protected? What advice would you give them? I want everyone who thinks they have a life estate deed to look at it carefully and read it. Because the deeds that were done in the late 1990s said this, I, whoever you are, Tenny, grant to myself for life the right to live in this property with the right 
to mortgage, sell, and convey, and then the remainder interest to someone else. Those critical words, retaining the right to mortgage, sell, and convey, creates a real problem for you with Medicaid because Medicaid says, great, you can mortgage it, you can sell it, you can convey it, go right ahead. We're going to count your house as uh, a countable asset. So in other words, if the life estate deed might say that you have the full power to sell, mortgage, and convey, basically the whole house is now a countable asset and can be reached by Medicaid. Is that correct? Well, it means that you would not be eligible for oh Medicaid. Oh, my. Okay. Wow. So it sounds like the general advice is if you have an older life estate deed, you ought to have it reviewed. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. We, we ought to do a new deed that eliminates that um, provision, but you're still then looking at a five-year forward-looking um, look back. Are there other ways that somebody could take the house out of their name and still live there and still have protection? Are there other types of devices or documents? Yes. I'd like to um, mention one other thing about life estate deeds that people may not be aware of. When you give away a remainder interest in your house with a life estate deed, you are actually giving uh, a share of the value of that house to the remainder people. So if you wish to sell that property, the remainder men are going to get a part of your proceeds. Uh, not only that, but they have to agree should you want to sell your house because they have to sign the deed. So be very cautious when doing a life estate deed. But yes, I can uh, talk a little bit more about an alternate okay. approach. All right, so just to wrap up on life estate deeds, it sounds like some life estate deeds might be good, some might be bad, but not all life estate deeds are equal. <laughs> True. Okay. <laughs> so get them reviewed, I guess, is the message. Yes. What else would you like to contribute <laughs> on the uh, radio? <laughs> I, I was just wondering if uh, my deed is, oh, let's say 10 years old. Should I still have it reviewed? Uh, does this clause, uh, I guess it brings back the old days, which really isn't uh, all that great nowadays. So how old is the deed before I should start worrying about having somebody review it? Well, you probably don't have a life estate deed, right? You just have a, a deed with your wife. That's right. Where you have a tenancy by the entirety, probably. You don't really have to review that okay. deed. Mm -hmm. All righty. Okay, so Tony, tell us uh, very quickly, if you would, and then we want to move on to Peter and some ideas for physically protecting your house. What else could be done or considered by somebody legally if they're concerned about, oh, nursing home issues, for example? How could they protect their house? Something that we have been doing a lot of lately is called an irrevocable income-only trust, a really pretentious name. Um, it is different from the revocable living trust that we have done for so many years. Um, the basic difference is that in a revocable trust, the person who establishes that trust occupies three positions. They are the trustors because they are creating it. They are the trustees because they're gonna manage whatever is in it. And they are the beneficiaries while they are alive. With the irrevocable income-only trust, they are the trustors again, 
but they cannot be the trustees. They have to name someone else to serve in that capacity. And they are not the beneficiaries for the principal any longer. They are beneficiaries only for the income that might be produced. So it's a complicated trust. The benefit of it is that if you establish this trust and put your house into it, then five years go by and your house is protected from Medicaid. Great. Okay. Well, that's really good information. We're going to wrap up on this part of the show at the moment because we want to talk about a few other things in terms of physically protecting your house, but that was really good information. I really appreciate that, and hopefully it sparks some questions in the parts of our listeners, too. You betcha. And if somebody wants to reach you and has questions about any of these kinds of things that we've talked about, Tenny, just, again, give the telephone number for how somebody could reach you. We hope that people will contact us at 508-998-8800. We're located at 352 Fonts Corner Road. We are handicap accessible and uh, easy to reach across from the Vanity Fair outlet. That is terrific. Thank you. Very much. Moving right along, let's talk to Peter next. And Peter, how can you protect your house from an intruder? Well, not by doing what we did, which is nothing. Um, (laughs) What we are... What do you mean by nothing? I'm sure you had something. We are currently renting a a very nice home uh, in Dartmouth. And about a year ago, my wife said, you know, we should get homeowner's insurance. And I said, yes, absolutely. And then we just both forgot about it. Right. So uh, whether you have uh, a home or an apartment, condo, uh, you're renting a home, uh, you should get either homeowner's insurance, condo insurance, or renter's insurance. Renter's insurance is very cheap. Tenant policies are very, very inexpensive. And the deductible is very low also. Um, we were not aware that we didn't have it, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about it a year ago and then just yeah. just sort of... So let's talk about the insurance side of that. We, we don't do that particular kind of work in the office. We do mostly retirement planning and, right. and financial services. But... If somebody were interested in putting a tenant's policy on their home, they should contact their typical property and casualty provider, like whoever does their car insurance, for example, mm-hmm. could also provide a tenant policy. Right, and there are some companies that you know do provide discounts if you have several different policies with them. Uh, but that's certainly something I would recommend, even if you own your home and you no longer have a mortgage on it, so you don't have to pay homeowner's insurance, you really should have homeowners insurance for break-ins, for uh, you know, well, just for loss, just for any type mm-hmm. of loss. I, I've heard many stories of people who don't have homeowners insurance and they lost the entire home to a fire, for example. I mean, sure. insurance is peace of mind, uh, whether it's uh, for your car, for your life, for your home, or any, anything. It's it's really peace of mind, and it, it's it's like Murphy's law. If you have the insurance, typically. You know, nothing bad happens, knock on wood, and if you don't have it, it's almost guaranteed to happen. And what else might you do if you were doing insurance? Well, one of the things that is extremely important, uh, regardless of whether it's renter's insurance or homeowner's insurance, document everything that you have. Um, there's, Pictures, photographs? Yes, either one of the things that they recommend is videotaping. If you want to go around your house for 10 or 15 minutes and videotape everything that you have, or certainly at least take pictures of everything, including the serial numbers 
of the more expensive, you know, electronics that you may have, computers, TVs, uh, you know, more high-end electronics. And that's because if you did have a loss or a break, you need to prove what was taken. And if you can't prove what was taken, they're not right. going to pay you for it. Yep, exactly right. Uh, no matter no matter what it is, if you don't have a receipt, some type of proof that you paid for it, uh, and pictures to show that you know it was there and the serial number and everything else, you simply won't get paid for it. Okay, so that's good advice. Take pictures. Probably have the pictures stored somewhere else. And if you take a video, don't leave the video inside the video camera, which might get stolen. Obviously, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did some research, and you know, most places that I looked at recommend uh, either getting a safety deposit box, or if you do, uh, we talked about this in a, a recent show, getting a safe for your home. Um, you know, you can get the little ones that you can carry away with you, but a thief can also. But they are fire and water uh, protected mm-hmm. for forty, fifty bucks easily. But okay. you know, it would make more sense to get a real safe if you do have some variables, uh, some val- valuables, and maybe something you can even bolt down to your floor, possibly. That's ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the sites recommend really that you make it a daily habit of opening up and closing the safe every day, and right. putting your valuables back in there and taking them back out, and it, it just becomes force of habit. And if you have a type of safe like that, then you can put the pictures or the videotape and your receipts in in the safe. What about some other simple things? I mean, insurance is fairly obvious, and taking photographs is fairly obvious, although I suspect a lot of people don't take the time to do those things. But what happens if you're going to be away for the weekend or if you're going on vacation? Are there things that you should do in your house to to make it appear like it's occupied, for example? Yeah, of course. Uh, the number one thing, uh, thieves break into homes. Um, first of all, there's a, there's a home that gets broken into every 15 seconds in, in this country. Um, most occur, uh, about 70% at least, occur during the day when hmm. people are at work. Wow. And the biggest thing is that they don't see your car in the driveway. That's the biggest telltale sign that you're not home. But if you are away on vacation or away at night, um, you do want to have timers on. Uh, it does help as somewhat of a deterrent to have timers uh, turning lights on at a certain time and and uh, don't have your newspapers delivered so they pile up in your driveway. Right. Yep. Tell your neighbors, alert your neighbors, know your neighbors, um, so you can watch out for them. They can watch out for you. Sure. Motion motion lights outside. Certainly. When uh, you know somebody is moving around, the light goes on. But unfortunately, most uh, burglaries do happen during the day, so it's important to have other you know mm-hmm. steps other than just automatic lights. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more for a home invasion, which you know is very rare, but obviously much Let more dangerous. Let me ask you this, because today thieves uh, are staying up with the times. They knock on your door, actually. That's exactly what the police said. Um, to that, see if you're home. I live in Dartmouth, and the the police in Dartmouth said that right now it's it's really running rampant. The, it is the burglaries that are happening. Um, they say that the thieves will walk right up to your door, yeah. knock on the door, and if you answer, they'll say, oh, uh, you know, I'm yeah. looking to see if you are interested in, you know, this or yeah, they have, have you excuse. seen my dog sure. or something. And if you don't answer, mm-hmm. then they bust the door down. So maybe having timers on lights is a good idea, a good policy. And maybe you change the timers on the lights sometimes or but, change the times. Yes, but again, it's most of the burglaries happen during the day. So I, I say blast the stereo inside yeah you can do that <laughs> why not <laughs> well if you have a garage an important tip and not everybody will want to do this unfortunately but if you have a garage and your garage door has windows 
cover up the windows with uh, some type of uh, you know plastic or paint that doesn't look too you know mm-hmm. too strange to, to cover up uh, because a thief won't know if there's a car in the driveway or in the garage excuse me can I be personal here and don't don't feel as though you have to answer it but uh, how did they gain entry into your home um, through the back door they pried they, it they, open, or yeah, they, they they pushed it through, or they basically picked the lock, as far yeah. as we can tell. Yeah, but I guess if they're listening, they shouldn't go back to your house again because there I might be some that, other surprises waiting for them. I don't think that they would be listening. Now, <laughs> uh, let me tell you about something that's really interesting today, uh, Phil and Peter and Tenny. You're still listening. Facebook. How many people put on Facebook, I'm really looking forward to going away on my vacation next week. you tell the whole world. And you tell the whole world that you're going to be away. So don't put it on Facebook if you're Mm -hmm. going on vacation. Yeah, my wife is really paranoid about that and won't let me post when we're going off to do anything anymore, really. If if you want to talk about it when you get back, terrific. Great point. Wonderful time we have. But don't tell people that you're going. Mm -hmm. Um, Funerals, unfortunately, is a very difficult situation. We've seen this. You see about it in the paper once in a while. You look at an obituary, there's going to oh, be a wake, just there's going to be uh, a funeral the following day. Make sure you have somebody who stays in the house of the person that died. Yeah. Scumbags of the world oh, don't care. They'll take it? advantage of people at any moment. You Peter, can't, it's just usually heartbreaking. You've got heartbreaking. to leave somebody behind in the house. Usually at your worst is uh, when they'll take advantage of you. Um, what kind of new locks or protections did you get after the fact? We all learn from lessons in life. Well, you can get a regular home security system. Uh, you know, there's normally a, a cost to have the system installed, and then you have to have a monthly uh, – they, they make you sign a contract. Most companies do uh, from the research that I did. You have to sign a contract for one year, two years, where you pay a, a fee every month to uh, monitor your home. So it goes automatically to the police department, the fire department. Right. This is an alarm company. Right. Um, But, you know, to do that, you do have to have a telephone, a landline, which a lot of people don't have anymore. Most people just use their cell phones. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'd say at least 50, 60 percent of people now just rely on their cell phones and don't have a landline anymore. Could I jump Um, back for one quick second, Pete, and talk about keys? I know you're going to go into the area of the kinds of alarms that are enunciator alarms. It'll just frighten somebody away that may not necessarily ring into a police department. But let's talk about keys for a minute. If I were a tenant moving into any house or any apartment, I'd want to know that I had new locks and new keys. Oh, or, what or at a least great point. New keys. Because how many old keys are out there? So if you move into Absolutely. a new apartment, make sure the landlord has got that lock rekeyed for you, and those keys are for what you. What a great point. Do you know that every time we change an employee at our business, we get the locks changed? Sure. Because it just makes sense that somebody's going to copy that. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. You need to make sure that you have the locks totally changed if you're moving into a new home or apartment or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, I mean, some of these things are obvious, but, um, but we don't you know, always you think to, about them. You need to rethink it. Oh, uh, yeah. Deadbolts on every door. Mm-hmm. The regular, with, if you don't have a deadbolt, uh, anybody can pick a lock in a flash. Yeah. Yep, there's no doubt about it. So how do we capture somebody or prevent somebody from going? Let's, let's, let's talk about preventing somebody from going into the house in the first place. Mm-hmm. You could have an alarm system. Right. I know I was in BJ's just a few days ago, and they have these camera systems now 
where you can monitor what's going on in your house, and they're fairly inexpensive. They're I like that idea. 250 to $400. You can have four mm-hmm. cameras in your house. They will operate wirelessly to the, the remote that it goes to, mm-hmm. and you can look on your laptop or your computer, and you can see if anybody's there. It will also videotape everything. The new systems um, you can get at just a home improvement store, and they run anywhere from 250 to you know 1600 but the the one that I'm looking at right now is about 450 and that has four cameras. Yep. Uh, you can set them up wherever you want. They're motion activated, right? So you're not recording, you know, nothing. Um, and as my father oh. said, if you are tech savvy and you have a smartphone or an iPad, it'll go directly there, right? Or it will go to, uh, you know, a hard disk drive uh, wirelessly that will record a certain amount of time, and then you can delete that time if nothing's happened in that now, time. Now is posting just a warning on your doors, saying, "Watch it! You are being videoed at this moment." Uh, it, does that act as a deterrent or not, do you think? I, I don't really know, Phil. I think yeah. that might be more of a police question, but certainly when you have an alarm system, as we do in our office and our home, we have stickers on the door that tell people yeah. that this house is alarmed, this house is monitored. I'm sure that does prevent some people from coming in in the first place. Well, I them know that their, their photos are being taken, and you know their ID is going to be as simple as going to the computer. That cannot be in the house, though. Because if that's the case, they're going to steal the computers, the laptops. Exactly. Whatnot. If you do have one of these systems that has a, a wireless hard disk drive, you need to make sure that that's hidden very well right. somewhere, totally away from everything. And, yes, that can be a, a deterrent, absolutely. Um, a, a good friend of mine is a Dartmouth police officer, mm-hmm. and he told me that, unfortunately, a lot of alarms um, and you know signs on the door saying that you – um, have a gun and we'll shoot or any of that type of stuff, it, it doesn't necessarily work in most cases because the real thieves are in and out before the cops will arrive anyways. And if you have a sign on your door that say, you know, um, uh, we're armed and we'll protect mm-hmm. our home type of thing, uh, he said that that makes thieves want to get in it even more because one of the things that they love a to steal are guns. Yeah. Wow. Well, guns is a whole different issue in terms of how you secure them and how you protect them. Mm. Uh, there are some very simple things you can do. For example, we have some sliders in our home, mm-hmm. and I went out and bought some regular closet rods, round dowels. Mm-hmm. I bought an eight-foot piece, mm-hmm. cut it up to the exact length, and then you put that in the track. Oh, great it idea. keeps the door from being open. Sure. I mean, eventually Sliding you could probably get yeah. around and do it, but you'd have to work pretty hard to get those rods out of the doors, yep. out of the door track. One of the other uh, things, and we only have a couple of minutes left, but... Um, Another thing that you can get on on top of the video system, and I've I've read all kinds of reviews about how that does work, um, even if you don't mention it. Uh, sometimes when you don't mention it, it's actually better because if you have a hidden camera, and then you can get the footage without them knowing it, and you can you know have the police look at that and ID the people. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but couple that with uh, even a simple door alarm where. Uh, if you open up the door, it sends a piercing alarm because that'll startle the heck out of somebody and make them think twice you bet. and alert the neighbors at least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's a good suggestion. And you can also. get those you know, fairly cheap at home. Uh, and of course, you can also talk stores. to alarm companies. I looked in the Yellow Pages, for example, for New Bedford, and there's probably 15 to 20 different alarm companies. Right. And get a professional evaluation of how best to protect your house. But do something, do something from a legal point of view. You know, get in touch with attorney Tenny Lance and find out about what you can do legally to protect your house. Right. 
but also take some practical advice from some of the things that we've talked about this morning of simple things like timers on lights, uh, door rods inside of your sliders, making sure you have new keys for your locks if you move mm -hmm. into a new place. You have no idea how many keys are out there from past occupants. And just some plain old practical advice. Right. Uh, we, in fact, have a panic button in our home. We had it installed just in case we were broken into while we're in the home at night, whatever. We have a panic button the same as banks have. Mm -hmm. That when you push it, this thing uh, will wake up the neighborhood, but at least we have a way of communicating that there sure. is a problem uh, in our household. So. Now, does Celeste press that button when you come into the house? No, she presses my buttons <laughs> all the time. <laughs> she knows how to press my buttons. And I'm sure you do your share as well. <laughs> I'm sure I do, Ray. <laughs> well, do something positive for your family and protect you yourself. You know, today you just have to watch out for what's what's going on. There was a story just recently where somebody um, didn't take care of themselves and, you know, the house was just wiped out and Peter had a problem. Mm. Thank you so much again, Phil. It's always a pleasure. A Folks, take some steps to protect your house. Call Peter or me or get in touch with Attorney Lance. We'll be happy to help you. And join us next week to Money Wise Radio Show with the Money Guys, Ray Lance and Peter Lance. Until then, I'm Phil Paleologus. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful Sunday.